Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, a podcast in which I, your host Mark Decano, talk to comedians, promoters and fans about the big questions in comedy and some of the small questions in comedy. But never ever, and I cannot stress this enough, will we discuss the medium questions in comedy. That's just silly. My guest on this episode is relatively new to stand-up comedy, but is already taking a debut show to this year's Edinburgh Fringe. An actor, comedian, and also an intensive care doctor, she's energetic and passionate about her work, both in the operating theatre and in the theatre theatre. It's comedian Stefania Lakari. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, Dana. I kept you waiting. I was like, ah. Oh. And it, literally everything was like melting. The song was super hot. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. Yeah. So, <laughs> let's do it. Okay. Your CV just looks incredible. I mean, let's be honest. You've got, uh, you graduated in medicine in Milan. We know that you were a doctor, but you've also, you studied physical theater in Poland, comedy in France, acting in England. I mean, where do you, where do you get the energy? Oh, wow. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for uh, Starting this with a compliment, <laughs> really appreciate it. Um, yeah, wow. I mean, now that you're reading that up, but it, it does sound quite rich. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I get asked this question very often where I get my energy. I usually make a joke about, oh, I drink coffee, but that doesn't apply anymore because actually I had to cut down the coffee. <laughs> so I, I feel very uncomfortable un- about that. Um, passion, I suppose. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I have a quite good endurance generally, but I found like I'm the type of person, if I'm motivated to do something, I, I would literally rather die and <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> not get it done. I know it sounds very dramatic, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's true. <laughs> so yeah, I get, I think, I mean, in practice it's because I discovered acting quite late in life. Well, I discovered when I was a child, but I took up acting quite late in life, only a decade ago now. Um, So I got into acting um, with that kind of hunger and urgency that I wanted almost to make up for the time I perceived I had lost, Um, which I don't know if it's true, but in a way. So I just wanted to do as much training as I could and discover. And then it was so beautiful because I think once I realized um, I was... um, willing to step up to step out of my medical career and get into an acting career I felt like a Pandora box mm-hmm. had like open up so I was like this is so fascinating all this learning all this grow and all this excitement so I think I've been living on a high <laughs> for 10 years now <laughs> like yeah and I, yeah I, I don't take any drugs so <laughs> it's a pure uh, physiological or hormonal high. (laughs) (laughs) You said you're interested in acting from a young age. So what was it that made you go into medicine and then sort of return, if you like, to acting? What was the initial drive and then what drove you to make the change? Well, um, I mean, we're talking about very, very early memories. So Mm -hmm. I was like five. So I have no no recollection of like conscious decisions, but I remember... I wanted to be an actress at that age. And from mm-hmm. the age of five to the age of 10, that was constant in my, my daily life. So I was uh, putting up more performances for my parents uh, mm-hmm. and I would ask them to pay. 
money to watch me. <laughs> I think there was this kind of being entrepreneur in a way. Um, and I, and then I, because I was, I'm a December born child. So I got to school then I couldn't really read and I could. And I, I wanted to bring um, fairy tales and I wanted to do some acting scenes at school. So my <laughs> basically I would kind of, not forced, but kind of really begged my mother to read the fairy like my favorite fairy tales every night. And then I would mm-hmm. memorize them and then go to school <laughs> and pretend I was reading them and acting up. So I think those were my first scripts, basically. <laughs> so I did have this natural passion and I, I don't know where it came from because nobody in my family was coming from an artistic background. Like most of my family is like architects or uh, professors, not academic. So that there was not such a thing as an exposure to the entertainment world so it was mm-hmm. just natural and it carried on for a few years but then um just family circumstances I don't I don't think at that age parenting was so sensitive and developed that people actually would listen to a kid that was only five so be an actress maybe was perceived like oh I want to be a ballerina or an astronaut which I think you should listen to your child if they say they want to be <laughs> one of them. So it kind of wasn't really nourished. And um, and I don't know, somehow things evolved and my backup plan was mentioned. And I believe it sounds very different, but in a way, I think what I was always interested in were like human stories and, and mm-hmm. relationships with people. And I felt mentioned would give me that. So... Um, and I think that's what I like in art as well. So I, I can see in reality, even it felt like it took a completely different path. Uh, maybe the driver was still very similar. And then a few years later, I graduated. I, I came to England. Everything seemed very kind of kicking the boxes. So I graduated with honors. I had a very prestigious placement. I was earning money. But somehow... Something inside was still there, my passion for art. And then, uh, mm-hmm. boom, suddenly I kind of really had a wake-up work, work call and I decided, okay, now I can afford another degree by myself. I mean, the mm-hmm. first thing my mom told me when I told her I wanted to get into acting, <laughs> she said, listen, I'm very liberal, I'm very, you know, it's a parent, so you can do whatever you want, but I'm not going to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's okay, so... Yeah, so I got into drama school, and uh, and uh, since then it was a point of no return, basically. Yeah, but even then, you don't you don't just do some acting; you dove into it, didn't you? You started your own uh, theatrical company. Yeah. And tell me about the orchestra as well. Oh right, okay, good question. So the orchestra was a play uh, directed by Christine Landon Smith back in uh, in January two thousand nineteen. So I had just come back from uh, the Goya training and I felt I I think I realized quite quite early stage in my acting career that you can't just sit on a sofa and wait for your agent to find work and also I just cannot do that as a personality I need to to, to play a role um, and I felt okay well maybe the next step is you know if I created a company and I could produce my own work, either in a collaborative way, like the orchestra was a very much an ensemble piece, or 
like my solo work, like I'm doing at the moment. Um, so I just really like that you're producing and creating. And I think it's extremely empowering for an artist and particularly for a woman and particularly for a foreigner <laughs> to be able to, to give yourself the possibility to have a voice. So, you know, you don't need to wait for anybody to give you that chance. You make your chance. Um, yeah. So I think that's very empowering. I'm really excited. So that's that's why I created the company. And so the yeah, orchestra was a really nice French dark comedy play. Mm-hmm. We played at the um, Omnibus in Clapham. Um, so that was uh, my first real experience as producer. And I, I learned a lot, a lot, really valuable, <laughs> very valuable <laughs> lessons. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you decide that um, you would go from the acting and the comedy play into stand-up? Ah, <laughs> um, it's not it's not a switch. So I'm okay. not I don't I don't feel like I'm like leaving the com- so-called conventional acting and just doing stand-up comedy. I feel very much open to variety of acting. In fact, I'm very much in love. With any type of acting um i'm soon recording a horror film and I, i'm still casting for dramas and stuff so it's not it's not that i don't like the rest at all yeah um, i think because i went after my drama school in england i went to study with philippe collier in paris for almost two years mm-hmm. and um and so that's when i developed both a taste and um um I would say a talent for comedy, but also kind of kind of realized that realistically, every time I was, I, I used to think of myself, I was like this bigger drama actor, like the next uh, Anna Magliano, Sofia Loren, everybody, you know, she enters yeah. and everybody cries. I never really managed to make anybody cry. In fact, actually, I managed to make people cry during my comedy show. <laughs> <laughs> not, because it's, not because it's bad comedy, just because there is a step part. But, um, and I was like, oh, I don't know, something is not fully connecting. And then uh, I was with a comedy school with Philip, and we did clowning and comedy. And I was so fascinated, and I realized I was very good at it as well I mean the second year not the first year first year was a drama <laughs> but um, yeah and I and I just fell in love with it and I just got obsessed about it and then from comedy acting I I got to, um, into stand-up so it's kind of both so it's, it's not it's not pure stand-up I'm doing or I'm interested in it's just the entire world of comedy at the moment is my my kind of true love Mm-hmm. My current state, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so when uh, when the arts kind of closed down for a significant period of time, obviously you couldn't really perform or do comedy much, if at all. But you obviously you had a profession to fall back on. I say I say fall back on an important profession. Yes, yes. Um, actually, I did a lot of acting as well during the lockdown. Paradoxically. Okay. Well, the lockdown for me was a very interesting um, phase, a period of my life, because um, mm. it all started really badly, obviously, the first few weeks, let's say, the pandemic. And yes. I don't usually work at the hospital as much as I did during the lockdown, because I've, I suddenly had so much free time. And, I, yes. and I'm, I'm trained in intensive care. So obviously intensivists were the doctors that were most... Uh, um, you know, requested, but um, I actually did a lot of acting because I told myself 
after the, the adjustment, the first few weeks of the pandemic, I was quite upset. But then, uh, mm-hmm. then you see kind of something switched in my mindset. And I told, well, I have an option. I have two options here. I could either go to the hospital, be exposed to all these tragedies, come back home and cry all day long, um, also far away from my family, or mm-hmm. I could ask myself a more empowering question. And that question was, how can I turn this situation into not just a great opportunity, but the most empowering thing I ever done in my life? Um, and then what happened was I started looking for opportunities to, 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 to turn over. So, for example, I would work in hospital. Everybody obviously was very upset, including myself, including the patients and the relatives and nurses, doctors. But mm-hmm. um, because I'm a comedian inside and I was trained, somehow I naturally got to a point and then I started using comedy and jokes and stuff to kind of help me. But then what I realized is it helped everybody else. And it was so mm-hmm. beautiful, so beautiful to have people telling me, oh, we love doing a shift with you because it's always better. Despite that so many people are dying around us, you have this lightness and this joy. And it, this joke just made us laugh for one minute. And that one minute out of 24 hours of tragedy is a life savior. Mm-hmm. And that was an incredible discovery in my life because I felt there is a power in art and in comedy particularly, that I, I maybe knew rationally before, but now I really experienced. So for me, comedy was like my life savior. And I think it became life savior of so many people around me or so many people that somehow were impacted. So I, I made also a web series called to My Doctor's Advice, completely yeah. homemade. Uh, again, this from my sofa. And that also won like several awards, film festivals, and then made me realize that there isn't a need for laughter and humor, especially during tragedies, not despite of tragedies. So somehow in the society, sometimes we have the concept that, oh, this is really sad. We cannot laugh. We should not laugh. We should not be, you know, finding a moment of lightness because it's not mm-hmm. fair, but that's wrong because we can't possibly be set 24-7. And so having a moment of relief, it's very human. And I think it really helps people, myself and people that somehow were impacted by this, uh, mm-hmm. be reminded that we still had life. Because working on a front line, it was very much like working in a in a in a war, basically. And people yeah. were just dying constantly, constantly. I mean, I've never experienced anything like that. And we needed moments that we could feel, okay, that's life. That's life happening it's somewhere. Yeah. And you can only find it inside because we couldn't really see around us. So, yeah, I became very much a kind of an advocate for art and comedy and a... And my love for comedy just became like, boom, <laughs> just exploded. <laughs> yeah. 
And that, uh, that series, My Doctor's Advice, I mean, you modestly said it won a few awards. It got, I think, eight wins and seven nominations all from Venice to Vegas. So, I mean, it's, I think you probably want to give it a bit bigger of a shout out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, again, it's kind of homemade, literally, with an iPhone, Adana, yeah. would be overheating most of the time and during the recording. Obviously, during lockdown, I couldn't meet up with anybody. So in the yeah. series, I'm playing a doctor than a to be bizarre and eccentric and I'm having online consultations with patients that are asking real questions the doctor always gives these bizarre answers and uh, I, I wasn't meeting with any of the actors everything was recorded remotely and then edited remotely so <laughs> it's very much homemade so if I was so kind of surprised that she went mm-hmm. to work but I think what um, underlied is just this need to, to kind of recreate a new, a new emotional connection with the yeah. medical world. And that's become also now my drive for my current show. So I just want to yeah. offer, you know, I want to humanize doctors again. Like, <laughs> And of course, um, your new show, which we will talk about, Medico, um, reprises you in the role of Dr. Anna La Rosa. <laughs> we met in my doctor's advice yes is playing a character is that your acting side is it keeping you personally off the stage to have a, another persona ha ha uh, such a great question mark well um i mean the, the character i'm playing on stage is mm. in a way quite far away from the initial uh, character of the web series it's definitely more refined and it mm-hmm. is incredibly close to myself, incredibly close. So I loved the idea of creating kind of a mystery in the show. And that's why I chose a character comedy with, as a, um, with a bit of stand-up rather than mm-hmm. a pure stand-up. Because what I wanted to recreate is that sense, that fine line between reality and uh, fiction. And in a way, this is like to get the audience to experience what happens in the hospital, because sometimes mm-hmm. it's so surreal to be in a hospital situation scenario, life actually, that you kind of lose the track of what is real and what is surreal. And I feel in a way I want to recreate that with my, with my show. I like then that audiences, they're very much like, they always ask me, I, I didn't think that was true, but is that is that true? Or, oh, that can't be true. Oh, but actually, it's true. Oh, my God. So I, I love <laughs> that. I, it's on purpose. It's on purpose. So it's just to, yeah. Yeah, so th- that's why the choice. But, again, the character is extremely close to myself. And uh, everything in the show somehow starts from a place of truth then obviously some of it is a little bit exaggerated for the purpose of comedy, etc. But everything, so it is very personal and uh, I always feel very vulnerable and sometimes I cry after the show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, even if the show goes very well, so it's nothing to do with the show. <laughs> it's just, I think it's just kind of that vulnerability and kind of opening up and say, well, this is actually my life story, you know, on Stage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it that's it's all very personal. 
I mean, we talked about your energy at the beginning, and I think um, from my observation, I've seen the show a couple of times, and um, from my observation, I would say that you you do come at it uh, with a lot of energy. In fact, if anything, I think you're probably the most excited comic I've seen on stage. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it's just so, it seems just to be, so like you're excited to be there, or to, you know, and it's just, it's quite, it's energizing in the room. Do you still... Do you feel that every time you go on? Because you're going to be doing essentially the same show night after night, and you've got you've got Edinburgh coming up. You're going to be doing it over and over again. Do you think you can sustain that kind of excitement and energy? Is it still um, that exciting for you every night now? Oh wow, this is such an interesting comment. Well, thank you very much. I take actually as one of the the best compliments I could possibly receive. Receive. I remember Philippe Goyer was teaching us that you need to have that spark. In your, in your eyes as an actor. You need to be on stage and it needs to be clear that you enjoy it. Because if you don't enjoy it, don't expect the audience will enjoy watching it, right? Um, yeah. I like to think it comes naturally because for me it's such a bliss and it's such a gift to be able to, to be on stage. Not just because I really enjoy it, like it's an activity I generally enjoy, <laughs> but also I feel... Um, it's a privilege. I'm thinking every time before I go on stage, I think, wow, there are people here. They came to listen to me. They want to hear my voice. They actually even mm. paid money for it. And I was like, wow, that's a privilege. I'm here. I'm a human being. And again, particularly I'm a woman. And again, particularly I'm a foreigner. And, and these are people. They're here to listen to my stories. And um. It's so heartwarming, and I'm so happy to be able to do that. So I don't think it's never going to change. I don't think I, I'm never going to get to a point that I'm not happy or so happy to be on stage. I mean, never. Yeah, <laughs> I, just like, yeah I, think, I think that that's it, just automatic. The moment I step on stage, um, mm. just happy. <laughs> <laughs> I opted not to use the phrase, you look like you have a sparkle in your eyes. So I'm glad that you used it instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, please use it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you in my promotion. <laughs> leading up it's a great compliment. I'm really, yeah, I'm really grateful. Thank you. You talked there about part of the excitement is, is uh, because being a woman and being a foreigner and these people coming to see you. Do you find that you've had any advantage or disadvantage because of being from Italy or being female? Well, at the beginning, at the very, very beginning, when I was in drama school, mm-hmm. I did feel that there was a, a push uh, for the um, international actors to try to get as close as possible to a British version of them. Not necessarily, the teachers were very liberal and very open, but I think just generally everything around us, the choice of casting and the type of teaching at times, um mm. so I, I think I yeah my first thing, my first um um approach with acting was very much like okay I need to try to become more British somehow and it wasn't necessarily <laughs> I know it, I mean it turned out to be impossible despite <laughs> I tried really hard I guarantee I guarantee I tried I mean, then I got to a point, so maybe that was that was perceived as a disadvantage. Now, whether it was a disadvantage, I'm not sure. 
But 10 years ago, when I started, I did hear casting directors telling me with that accent, it's impossible. Or I don't know, you, you just look too Italian or, or something. Um, so I think there was a prejudice, which very likely I didn't listen to. So yes, I did, I did, I did try to confirm a little bit, conform, but somehow very quickly, and that is also very much thanks to Philippe Gaulier, who used to say, oh, we hate her when she's trying to be more British, but we love her when she's Italian. <laughs> I think that really helped me to embrace my roots. And now I feel that the truth is, I don't know whether it's an advantage or a disadvantage to be a foreigner actor in, um, in the UK. But what I know is that the British audience so far has been very welcoming and I cannot be different from myself. Yes, I can put a British accent now because I studied whether I need it. Most likely at the moment, no. I don't need to be the next Juliet. I don't look like Juliet. I don't move like Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm very happy to embrace my roots. And yeah. I think uh, the British audience is ready for something different, for stories that are not the same and again and again. And, uh, you know, I'm very grateful to this country. I'm a British citizen now. I've been mm -hmm. here so so many years and I feel, well, guys, I want to share with you where I come from, who I am. And in a way, I'm in hybrid now because I've been, you know, I'm a little bit like you as well. So it's a, it's a sharing that is more truthful now. I feel very much comfortable who, with who I am and I don't want to hide it. I want to I wanna show it. And I think the audience deserves the truth and not like some kind of fake version. You can play a character. So we're talking here about your own stories. You yeah. can play a character that is very far away from you, absolutely. So by all means, cast me in, <laughs> in a, I don't know, line of duty detective. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what would you, but I better do TV sitcoms. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> You've talked about the uh, Col Philippe Gaulier a couple of times there. Yeah. When you're an Italian learning comedy in France and then performing it in England, is this a, a, a cross-cultural conflict or, or is something that resonates across all cultures that you can say, well, this works for everybody? Or otherwise, is there an instance where you say, well, I was told this and that just doesn't work with this kind of an audience? Well, the beauty of comedy, I believe, is that the unifying moments yeah. of shared laughter. And I think that is universal. So it is absolutely uh, a privilege and a, almost necessary, I think, to study comedy in an international environment. Yeah. Because when things work, they work everywhere. And that's when they really work. Then yeah. you can have finesse. And, you know, depending in which country you're performing, then you can have more topical type of humor. But I think on a general level, uh, human beings in general share a sense of what, 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 what people like, what they like, what is humor. Yeah. And the other thing is, again, going back to embracing your roots, if you 
study in an environment that is kind of neutral in a way. Plus, in this school, there were people coming from every part of the world, uh, mm-hmm. from the States to Japan. So it was such a richness of cultures and upbringings. I think when you realize that the only way to be truly comical is to embrace yourself, who you are, mm. which is inclusive of your roots, not only, so it's also your personality, your mannerisms, your your likes, um, yeah. your mission comedy, then once you are yourself, then I think you could potentially be liked by any culture. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't even matter which language anymore. And so I think that's an incredible opportunity that I had to study. I mean, just Philip obviously is the master of comedy clown, but it's in an environment that was, yeah, I I don't know. It was uh, just itself. It's like a different planet altogether, all the planets together and then boom, a different world. Yeah. Very important, very yeah. important comedy, yes. Yeah. So from uh, creating your character or from putting your comedy style into your show, did you draw inspiration from other characters or uh, other comedians or actors that you saw? Well, I've been, <laughs> since I fall in love with comedy, I've been studying comedy non-stop. <laughs> I would basically self-diagnose with uh, obsession. <laughs> 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 So I I can't even make a list of the people that have that have inspired me as a comedian because there are so many and it wouldn't almost wouldn't be fair. But um, yeah, so anything from pure stand-up to character comedy to uh, clowns. So the inspiration mainly is not is I think on the two levels. Mm-hmm. One is the technicalities. Because I very much, every time I watch somebody, I very much dissect scientifically, like a like an autopsy. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what the, the parts, the comedy, the joke, I dissect the performance. So it, it's always very important. You learn so much when you watch fellow comedians. And yeah. then uh, the, the other thing is the inspiration, the drive that I want to see in the comedian. And you can see when their work is again the result of embracing who they are or a mask they're putting up and generally when it is embracing who they are it works extremely well yeah and i think among everybody at the moment possibly the person that i'm most uh, I got most inspired at the very beginning and most grateful is Colin Holt mm-hmm. um grateful because Somehow he got to know me. I was initially a member of his audience with Anna Man shows, and then he liked my sense of humor as well. <laughs> and then he invited me, so I was a regular guest for some of his shows. And it was incredible for me because he, he's so good, and I respect him as a wonderful artist, a wonderful person. And I, I felt it was, a, it was just a great opportunity for me, quite new to stand up, be yeah. given the chance and the trust about somebody that is so established and so well-known. So I am very grateful. And, and just so much in admiration. I, I see these shows like multiple times, not just I participated as a comedian, <laughs> but I also just watched it um, yeah. multiple times. So yeah, that would be a name I would uh, definitely mention as an inspiration. 
Mm -hmm. And um, have you so far, apart from the lessons that you've been taught, have you learned any lessons for yourself from your own experience? Many, many. Um, do you mean acting-wise or life-wise? If there's maybe something that influenced your comedy specifically or, or for you personally? Well, there is, there is something that happened in my life that has got an impact even now. And I think it, it, it's not directly connected with acting or comedy in a way, mm. but it, it's a drive. And I think in a way, when you, I mean, in any, when any job you do, well, maybe particularly in the, in the entertainment industry, <laughs> where things are so competitive and I can be quite demoralizing at times, mm. I think having a strong, well-fed and nourished and trained mindset is like the starting point. Mm. I mean, even before any, you know, skills training. Yeah. And uh, I, I've been in self-development for 20 years now, so I'm very familiar with my coaching and et cetera. Um, it's always been very sensitive to episodes of my life where I could learn a lesson and keep using. And yeah. so there is this episode that happened maybe 10 years ago now, before, just before I got into acting, maybe a couple of years before that. Um, so I... And it still resonates a lot. So basically, in any any moment of frequency, this comes back to my mind. Mm -hmm. So I was doing an ultra marathon in the desert. Of course, you were. Yeah, <laughs> I was. Yeah, in, in Algeria, it was uh, 160 miles, but 250k. Um, it, 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 before you say it's insane, I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree, I agree. There's no doubt. So I'm, not, I'm not saying that this, I could not recommend it. <laughs> but um, I used to do quite a few ultras uh, up to a few years ago, then I got very busy lately. But um, anyway, the story is um, um, I'm towards a kilometer 200. I'm getting really tired. Lots of other people have quit. It was a non-stop race. You didn't really have time to rest. So you kind of didn't even sleep. You just kept running in the desert. <laughs> um, so at this point, I'm getting really tired, really tired. Um, and I, I'm almost thinking, I don't know if I can make it. But I carry on until the last checkpoint before the final destination, which was 21 kilometers before the end. Mm. At that point, I'm in a completely body disaster, and there are only few runners left. But there is this Spanish guy who says, listen, actually say, hola, chica. <laughs> <laughs> listen, if you want, we can do the last stretch together. It's the middle of the night. It will be safer, and we are exhausted. So we go together, and it's really pitch dark. And uh, at a certain point, his GPS stops working. My GPS stops working. And it's so pitch dark that we can't see any route. And there is a big rock in the desert. And we lean against the rock. And that's a moment of complete despair. I start crying. And, <laughs> and we just say, oh, my God, we're lost. But it's gonna happen. Now we're gonna die because we have basically almost no water. We are exhausted and it's really cold. I guarantee the desert gets really freezing cold at night. Mm -hmm. And we spent 
possibly what I perceived as an hour in this form of despair because we could not find the way. We, we didn't know. We, we could not see anything. Yeah. And then sadly, I was there shivering and I thought, oh, my God, I'm actually, we're going to become well. And then suddenly something switched. We looked into each other's eyes with a little torch and we said, we just go. We just go this way, completely random. We just, just keep moving. <laughs> and Mark, I swear to God, five minutes later, we were at the destination, at the camp. <laughs> the reason we didn't see it, because the desert can be so brutally dark, you yes. literally don't see past the something. Plus the camp was like middle of the night and there were no lights either. Wow, <laughs> that was me. You know what, Stefania, never give up in life. Because you never know how close you are. Wow. And so I'm, I'm taking that lesson with me, I guess, forever. <laughs> well, that is a, a powerful lesson and quite the story. <laughs> Although, in fairness, as I commented at the beginning on your energy, if someone told me, oh, Stefania run a, an ultramarathon, I can, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> you talked briefly there about uh, Colin Holt and, you know, appreciating the comics you see. You obviously see a lot. Now that you're sort of inside the comedy industry, do you still find the time? Do you still make the time to go out and watch as, as comedy as much as you did before? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I watch somebody basically weekly. The only mm -hmm. time I don't do it, if in that week I do have a show myself, so I'm trying to spare my energy. But yeah, yeah. regularly. I think, it, well, first of all, I really like supporting <laughs> the, yeah. the arts and a fellow comedian, but also it's just such a great uh, learning opportunity and it's a great fun. I mean, I love comedy. I, I could talk about comedy all day long and sometimes I do and I can get <laughs> deadly boring with the non-comedians. <laughs> I just I just read comedy. I read about comedy. I watch comedy. I talk comedy. I dream comedy. I write comedy. It, it, it really is an obsession and um, it's it's become like my best friend. So absolutely, absolutely. I I go all the time. Sometimes I go and watch drama pieces as well. So I'm, I'm trying to keep a variety, but I tend to be drawn to comedies a lot. <laughs> now your show, Medco, has had a lot of uh, positive reviews. How do you deal with reviews and feedback like that? Um, when they're good, oh my God, I open a really good bottle of Italian wine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I celebrate. Um, yes. Um, so so far they've been good actually. So I haven't really experienced uh, bad comments attaching good, but uh, I'm yeah. sure that will happen. I mean, you can't be possibly be liked by every, any everybody. And uh, I would not want to. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so yes, I'll. Um, I don't know. I'll deal with that. <clears throat> I think I have become a much better over the last few years with feedbacks. And again, mm -hmm. thanks to Filippoli, actually, because he is, is very famous for his very harsh methods at times. Um, and I remember Sasha Cohen-Baron, who also trained with him, once he mm -hmm. wrote an article in The Guardian, and he said, once you passed those negative comments and that sadness you feel inside, then something really opens up. And the reason is once you accept the feedbacks, mm then you can really listen. So I'm very much now, sometimes I still get upset if I don't get a good feedback, but 
it takes much less to recover. And I'm really trying to look into, okay, let, let's use it. I mean, obviously, obviously I'm not perfect. Obviously I need to improve. Obviously I want to improve. So let's try to listen. I also become much better to listen, to select the people I'm listening to because, yeah. uh, you know, everybody feels like they, they want to give you opinions sometimes. So you might not want opinions from everybody. So I'm very I, I read the reviews and I really appreciate I really appreciate the time first of all people are taking to come and see and review so for me that's already I, ca I come I start from a gratitude uh, place of like okay thank you very much even you know in my in, suppose somebody didn't like my show but they still took the time mm -hmm. so I'm grateful and then is there something that I can use is there something that makes sense maybe something I didn't see so, um, yeah, I've become a better. I, I used to be terrible. I used to. It's going to silly to say something. I would just spend the night crying. <laughs> no, I'm better. I'm better. I'm way much better. Seriously, I, I don't think I cried for a feedback for quite a few years now. So <laughs> I have improved. <laughs> but I think celebrating is very important as well. Because I do have yeah. the tendency to move on very quickly from one step to another. And sometimes I don't acknowledge the effort has taken me and actually how proud I should be. Um, I, I tend to say a lot of thanks and congratulations to my team and people that support me. And sometimes I forget almost to, to say thanks to myself, to my body, to my voice, to my energy, to my drive. And so now I have this kind of little uh, tradition that I buy a really good bottle of wine and uh, I wait until uh, after the run and it, like symbolically I celebrate with a glass and I tell myself and I force myself to give at least 24 hours of just enjoy yeah. that celebration before I move on to the next step. I think it's very important to, to feel proud of yourself because otherwise your body and your subconscious is like, Oh, well, you push, 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 but you never say anything good to me. So blah, blah, blah. No, I <laughs> Well, we've talked about Medico a little bit. Let's just review what it's all about and where is it on and what, when can we see it? So it's a medical comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hybrid, as we said before, between character mm -hmm. comedy and a stand-up with a yeah. strong element of storytelling. And some of them are quite moving. And again, a lot of storytelling is, is really coming from a place of truth. Um, I'm talking about the medical world. I'm talking about immigration issues, um, what it takes to become British. And, uh, mm -hmm. and basically, I'm looking at the British culture from my Italian eyes. Mm -hmm. um, the show is now on Edinburgh French soon. So we, I'm starting on the 4th of August. I'm doing a full run at the Just Tonic, the Nucleus on Pleasance, uh, yep. the subatomic room until the 28th of August, except the 15th. Mm -hmm. And there's in the afternoon, 3, 10 p.m. So yep. I'm really excited. It's my first time in Edinburgh former. Um, mm -hmm. So... Um, Yes, I'm a, they, my Italian friends, Italian comedians friends, they told me, the weather. <laughs> it's terrible <laughs> about the weather. <laughs> it's number one tip among the Italians, <laughs> the Scottish weather. I'm ready, I'm ready. I know, I know everything about the Scottish weather. Also, they yeah. said, 
you can find really good fried pizza, apparently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> you could get anything fried in Edinburgh. Here we go. So, yeah, Edinburgh Fringe will be the next step. And then uh, there's some plans for, but there's not, nothing confirmed and established yet for autumn. Mm. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I invite you to quite a few um, CSA programmers to come and see the, the show in Edinburgh. So let's see what happens in the next few months. But the idea is yeah. to continue touring. Because uh, mm-hmm. it's a comedy show, so it's nice to keep developing and to get to a point to see how how good can that become, or what can you discover, or what can I discover about myself or touring? Because mm-hmm. uh, that's um that's basically like a, <laughs> a really empowering empowering question in a way as an artist, like to ask yourself what what person you need to become to be able to do a solo show and and to produce it um, and that's mm. what really interested me in the beginning when I decided I wanted to do a solo show it wasn't just the the target itself it wasn't like oh I want to do a show and I have a lot of people coming and sell out shows that's kind of yeah it's a really nice favorable outcome but the, yeah I think the, the the first question was like who do I need to be to be able yeah. to have a, a success, successful solo show what 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 does it take to be alone on stage for an hour and be confident about it um so I learned so much it's so priceless to to be able to do this um yeah it's, it was terrifying at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> very much terrifying but yeah that's better now <laughs> so I'm going to ask you if you can summarize for me what to you is comedy in a nutshell I believe comedy is a way of looking at life. Mm-hmm. That's very much a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I feel, um, and, and that's why I'm so passionate about comedy, because it's almost like if you have, if you can look at life and see something comical basically all the time, mm-hmm. you're safe. You're just safe. Because no matter what happens in your life, you know at a certain point, you'll be able to pick up yourself. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I, I feel like I, I, I live in a world where the colors are different and the situations are different than maybe if I didn't have these comedy eyes. Because everything somehow is an opportunity to, I see almost like joy and, and uh, life everywhere. And that's, and that's because I can find something funny in every single bit. And that's uh, that's what I really admire about comedians in general. They just they just uh, you know they just tell you a scene, something just happened, and they tell you in a way you can understand that their way of looking at life is so bizarre, so beautiful, so childish, so well not childish, childlike. So that's mm. this beautiful naivety. So yes, I think that's what comedy is for me. And I think I'm blessed and I do have the spirit. I hope it stays. <laughs> I hope it's not a temporary <laughs> passing through. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love it. I mean, your your energy and your excitement and your passion is uh, inspiring and boundless, it seems. So uh, thank you for that. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. Thank you, Mark, for your interest and uh, talking to me. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you. I will look forward to seeing you in Edinburgh. Thank you. See you there.
Thank you.